Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. You're not going to come into this church and not hear about Jesus. We're all about him. We're all about lifting him up. Today, we were going to talk about living in the shadow of Christ's return. Book of James. You'll be reading the book of James this week. Sometimes it's called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's very practical in nature. It was probably written about 45 AD, which is just 12 or 13 years after Jesus was here on the earth, and his half-brother, James, wrote it. They had the same mother. Obviously, Jesus didn't have an earthly father conceived by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine having Jesus as your older brother? I wonder, I just wonder if Mary ever said to James, why can't you be like Jesus? Perfect. Can you imagine having a perfect older brother? You compare Paul and James, sometimes people think they contradict one another. Actually, Paul received the gospel. James talks about working out the gospel in your life. Paul talked about the root of our faith. James talks about the fruit of our faith. Paul talked about the principles. James talks about acting on the principles. Paul mentions doctrine. James talks about deeds, because when you come to know Jesus, you don't stay the same. You're different. Your life bears it out. You bear out the fruit of the gospel. Today, I want to read out of chapter 5, verse 7 and following. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job, and you've seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no No, lest you fall into judgment. Some of you may have run track in high school. I doubt seriously most of you in this room are running track today. You're just doing your best to stay on track. (laughs) But I've been told that the hardest sprint is the 400 meters 440 yards, 400 meters, sprint all the way around that track one time. If they didn't know they could finish, by the time they got to about 380 meters, they'd probably want to quit. But they know that when they cross that finish line, they're going to be able to rest. The Christian life is compared to a race several times in the scripture. 
Where is our finish line? It's either when we called home to heaven through death, or it is when the Lord Jesus returns again. That will be the finish line. James is encouraging Christians in difficult times. He's saying, you hang in there. You're still headed toward the finish line. The return of Jesus is going to happen. Now, I don't know about your house, but at our house, when we know company's coming, things change. (laughs) How about you? Things are cleaned. You buy more groceries. You're looking for something. The actions change. And when you know company's coming, you're, you're preparing for them. Well, we know that the Lord is coming back, and it should affect our life. It should affect the fact that we know he's coming, and even in a world that's getting more and more difficult, we know he's coming. It still, we still live that way. So James mentions a couple of things here. As we're waiting for the Lord to return, how do we live? First of all, we live with a continuous expectation. Now, he mentions in verse 7, the coming of the Lord. There's three words in the New Testament for coming, the second coming. This word is the word parousia, or parousia, depending on how you pronounce it. And it emphasizes the nearness and the certainty of the Lord's return. It was a word also used for the arrival or visit of a king or some important dignitary. Sometimes it was used to describe the invasion of an army. There are two other words in the New Testament. One of them is the word epiphania, which is a word used for the appearance of a god to his worshipers. It was used by the pagans, little g god. If a god appeared, it was an epiphania. Well, or it was also used for the emperor ascending to the throne. The third word is the word apocalypsis, which means unveiling or laying laying bare the power and glory of God. So these three pictures and these three words, here you have the arrival of a king, You also see God appearing to his people and mounting the throne, and then God directing on the world the full blaze of his glory. There's a day coming like no other. Now, for the Christian, it's an encouragement. But for those who've never committed their life to Christ, it's an endangerment because you're not prepared to meet the Lord. You see, these folks that were baptized today, it wasn't because they were baptized that they're prepared to meet the Lord. It's because they committed their life to Jesus, which was shown through their baptism, that they're prepared. The day that you gave your life to Christ, whatever age it was, you prepared yourself that very day to meet Jesus. We don't know when we're going to get to meet him. But we do know he's coming. And this old world seems to be getting worse and worse, doesn't it? But you and I know who's coming. And that keeps us going. So I'm living within a a consistent or a continuous expectation. I'm looking for the return of Jesus. Not that I'm sitting around staring at the sky, 
but I am looking for it. Incidentally, the theme of the sermon series that the, the, the launched last week at the Hills Community Church, their theme is keep looking up. And that's a perfect theme for us to keep looking up. Even when things look bad and they look down, we keep looking up, don't we? So while we're waiting for the Lord to return and we know he's coming, what do we do as Christians? Do we hide? Do we just shut ourselves off from the world? No, we're, we're the lights of the world. We're the, to go into the world and spread the gospel. But there's some truths here that Peter would practically give you and me. First of all, he would say we need to live as a consistent example. Consistent. Consistent. Are you consistent? Today, it seems like commitment, perseverance, and consistency seems to be going by the wayside. People aren't consistent. They kind of go with the flow. And that happens when there's no absolute truth. We know there's absolute truth. Absolutely. But when, when your truth is dependent on the circumstances and so forth, there's no consistency in people's lives. There's no consistency in their thinking. But as a child of God, we're to live consistently. So what does that mean? Well, he mentioned several things in these verses. He says, first of all, you need to keep a steady pace. Now, the word patient in verse 7 and eight is used three times. And the word is macrothumis, which means to be long-suffering or of a long spirit. It, it pictures a runner catching his breath for a long run. It's used by James to also speak of holding back our spirit when we want to retaliate. It, it means to not lose your temper. It implies the ability to keep your composure for a long period of time. If there was ever a group of people that should be consistent and, cons and a steady day-by-day -day living for Christ, it's his children. It's us to keep a steady pace. Patience. We, we, we use that word in a lot of different ways, but somebody said patience is the trait you admire in the driver behind you. <laughs> and scorn is in the driver that you have, you have, you have scorn for the driver ahead of you. Patience is that one that every person wishes their spouse had. <laughs> Life would be easier if we displayed as much patience at home as we do fishing or hunting or shopping or whatever we do. He uses an example of a farmer. Now, we know what farmers are. A lot of you in here are farmers. Or you're working in the ag business. And he uses that as an example. He said, notice the farmer, verse 7. He said, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit? This isn't the time of year farmers are planting. They planted back in the spring. And they've been waiting all summer, weeding and spraying and praying for rain and watering and on and on. And now comes the time to harvest. But can you imagine if a farmer tried to harvest when he planted in April and he tried to harvest in June? Nothing there except some little sprigs. James is saying it takes time. And in this process that we're in, we're waiting patiently for the Lord. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I get impatient. I say, Lord, you missed a great opportunity to return today. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? I do. It's been one of those days. Why didn't you come back today? We've got to wait. Sometimes when we don't wait, we make the wrong choice. Why is, why is patience so difficult for us? Because we don't like to wait. You want it instantly. We live in a country that exists on frozen dinners and instant mashed potatoes and cake mixes and freeway express lanes. And I told you a couple weeks ago, you, they even mix conditioner and shampoo now so you don't have to do it twice. <laughs> we don't like to wait. If you're honest, you'd just about rather do anything than wait. Well, now they've put something in your hand to help you wait. They got those little phones, computers. So everybody that's waiting is looking at that thing. And don't you just love it when they're waiting and looking at that thing when the light turns green and they don't go and they don't go and they don't go. And then right when the light turns yellow, they go. And you're full of patience, aren't you? I'll give you an example of, of not waiting. Next year, next year, this is going to change your life. Next year, Jell-O is going to be 125 years old. That's some old Jell-O. <laughs> but let me tell you about how it began. 1897, a man by the name of Pearl Wait, W-A-I-T, he was sort of a jack of all trades. He was a construction worker. He dabbled in patent medicines and he went door to door selling homemade remedies. And during his tinkering one day, he came up with the idea of mixing fruit flavoring with granulated gelatin and his wife named it Jell-O. He thought it was just another product to try to peddle, so Waite went door to door. Unfortunately, the sales didn't go as fast as he thought they should. So just a few months after inventing that, he sold the rights to a man named Orator Woodward for $450. Well, Woodward knew what a bargain it was. He understood the value of marketing and patience, and within eight years, he turned that $450 into a million-dollar business. Today, not one single relative of Pearl Weight receives a penny from the 1.1 million boxes of Jell-O that are sold every single day. Why? Weight just couldn't wait. <laughs> we get impatient. We want to quit. But methodically, day by day, you keep serving, you keep following. Some days you don't feel like it. Some people are like those bottle rockets or those rockets you shoot up at the 4th of July. They are brilliant for a little while. And then they go out. You see, there are people who, over the years, they consistently keep serving the Lord and they grow in the Lord, and you can just see it in their face. It just happens over a period of time that they, they know that 
Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You've never heard of Bill Broadhurst, or maybe you have. It's been a long time since he ran in a race. He was lined up in Omaha, Nebraska, the 10,000-meter challenge, the Pepsi challenge. And, but 10 years prior to that, he'd had a brain aneurysm that left him completely paralyzed on the left side. But nevertheless, he lined up with 1,200 other athletic men and women at the starting line. The gun went off and the crowd surged forward and Bill begins to throw his left leg forward and he pivots on it. And you can hear him going plop, plop, plop. Crowd leaves him behind. And two hours and 20 minutes later and six miles later, most everybody's gone home by then. Bill Broadhurst crosses the finish line. And much to his surprise, the famous marathon runner, Bill Rogers, comes up to him and hands him the first place medal that he had just won because he's a marathon runner. And he gave it to Bill Broadhurst and he said, here, you've worked much harder for this than I have. He kept on and he finished. And sometimes we may feel like we're just plopping along and we're discouraged and we think, what is the use and why is that? James says, you just keep a steady pace. You be patient. Don't quit. The Lord is coming back. He also says you've got to have staying power. If you'll look at verse 8, he says, establish your heart. NIV says stand firm. The KJV says establish your heart. Be strong. And the word literally means your heart gets stronger, and the longer you stand, the more planted you are. You, you stay even when you feel like running away. You don't get discouraged. Well, if you get discouraged, you don't quit. You don't leave. Years ago, a lot of you older folks with hair the color of mine, you remember who Walter Payton was, running back for the Chicago Bears. One Monday night, they were playing a football game against the New York Giants, and one of the announcers observed at that time that Walter Payton had literally run nine miles worth of yards over his career at that time. And the other commentator said, yeah, and that's with somebody knocking him down every 4.6 yards. You're going to get knocked down sometime. But you decide in your heart, I'm not stopping. I made a commitment of my life to Christ. I know he's coming back. And even when I feel like quitting and when I feel like running, I'm going to stay with it. One of my favorite stories, and I've told you before, it's when Mike Collin, who played for the Miami Dolphins, he was a graduate of Auburn University. He was a linebacker. And he, had, he was asked by his former college coach, Suge Jordan, to help him recruit. Mike said, well, coach, what kind of player are we looking for? And the coach said, well, Mike, you know there's a fellow, you knock him down, he just stays down. Mike said, yeah, we don't want that kind of guy. They said, that's right. And he said, then there's that fellow, you knock him down and he gets up, but you knock him down again and he stays down. We don't want him either, do we, coach? No, that's not who we're looking for. But then, you know, there's that fellow, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down, he gets up. And Mike said, that's the guy we want, isn't it, coach? And the coach said, no, we don't want him either. I want you to find the guy who's knocking everybody down. <laughs> Well, we're not knocking people down, but we are going to stand firm, planted. 
staying power. Mother Teresa even said, I know God won't give me anything I can't handle, but I just wish he didn't trust me so much. And sometimes you want to quit. But James says, you establish your heart. Isn't it interesting? The heart is always there. Now, there must have been some Baptists. By the way, I don't know if I told you that James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, the, the church of Jerusalem for a while. There must have been some Baptists in it because he wrote verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The word grumble means groan. It's, it's the sorrow created by undesirable circumstances. You want to have a groan party. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And we want to blame our circumstances on everyone else. It's their fault. Have you noticed no one ever takes responsibility for their own actions anymore? It's always somebody else's fault. And he says, the judge is standing at the door. Let me ask you this. When you were in school and the teacher had to step out in the hall for a moment, talk to somebody, what did y'all do in that class? Was there any nonsense going on? Yeah, absolutely. You had a class clown or maybe you were the clown or maybe someone else. Y'all were doing all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden you hear, here she comes. Maybe you were blessed to have siblings. I have a brother and a sister, both younger than me. One day when we were kids, my brother's three years younger than me, we were having some social interaction. <laughs> I'm not the positive kind. And I'm giving my brother the what for, and he's arguing back with me. Then all of a sudden, he just kind of stops, and he starts smiling at me. And yeah, you're right, David. You're right. Absolutely, you're right. I'm going, what in the world's happened to him? Then it dawns on me that behind me, there's somebody standing at the door. <laughs> That's the picture here. Don't you realize who's watching? You realize who's watching you complain and grumble about somebody else? The Lord is standing at the door. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you serve the Lord and you live for the Lord and anytime you're around people at all, your patience is going to be tested. Somebody's going to get on your last nerve. Right? A man and his wife were awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning. Somebody's pounding on their door. A man gets up and goes to the door and there's a drunken stranger standing there in the pouring rain. He said, sir, can you give me a push? The guy said, not a chance. And closed the door and went back to bed. Well, his wife said, who was it? He said, just some drunken stranger asking for a push. Well, did you help him? Well, no, I, I didn't. It's 3 o'clock in the morning and it's raining. And she said, well, you've got a short memory. Can't you remember about three months ago when we broke down on vacation and those two guys helped us? I think you ought to help him. So the man gets up, puts his clothes on. He goes out in the pouring rain. He calls out in the dark. Hey, you still out here? Yes. Do you still need a push? Yes, please. Where are you? I'm over here in your swing. I've met folks like that, haven't you? 
and yet we're told to be patient. Don't grumble against one another. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says love is patient. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, be patient with everyone because that's how God is with us. Don't grumble against one another. Be patient. So we're supposed to have a sweet personality. I didn't put that up there for you. In the process, if there's ever a group of people that ought to have a sweet personality, it's us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We're the lights in a world of darkness. If anybody's going to be kind to somebody, it should be us. Listen, there's a lot of grumbling going on in the world today. Everyone's blaming everyone else. And we need to be the kind of people that can show the love of God. And then you need to also rest in your secure position. Now look what he says here in verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and you have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That word example means writing under. If you were going to trace something, you would have the example under the sheet of paper, and you would trace it. That's the example. He said, take the prophets as the one to copy after. Because those guys, they delivered the message of God. They weren't very popular. And he said, you've seen the suffering and the, the uh, persecution of Job. And when Job was going through that, did he know what was going to happen? You see, we have the advantage of seeing the end. That's what he said. You've seen the end. And even though this difficulty you know, Job, hey, hey, Job, hang on. Uh, we, we've seen the end. It's going to be good for you. Well, what we're going through, we don't know the end except that the Lord's coming back, and that's going to be good, and the Lord is merciful and patient and compassionate toward us. He said, you've seen the end. Folks, let me tell you something. As bad as the world is getting, and it's getting worse, I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but unless there's a spiritual awakening or people turn to God, we don't, we don't have much hope in this nation anymore because people have turned their backs on God. And that means they're going to turn their backs or they're going to, to uh, have some ill will toward Christians. And that's you and me. But listen to me. Spoiler alert. I've seen the end. And Jesus wins. And that means that you and I know that no matter what we're going through, we know the end. My hope is not in the government. I have no hope in the government. My hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is not in my health. My hope is not in my wealth. My hope is in Jesus Christ. Because I know he's coming back. It's certain. He's coming back. You and I need to understand 
that while we're here on this earth, and verse 12 says that we ought to be people of integrity. When you say you're going to do something, do it. Or at least have the integrity to say, no, I'm not going to do it. That your yes be yes and your no be no. But why, let me close with this. Why do you think he said, behold, the judge is standing at the door? Because people without Jesus, when he comes again, are going to face him as a judge. The great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation. The great white throne, it means that those who've not received Christ, those who haven't realized that they're sinners separated from God and that God made the the arrangement by sending his son who lived a sinless life and that the sinless blood covered our sin and he rose again conquering death and when you trust Jesus as your savior, God imputes to you the righteousness of Jesus. It's by grace you're saved through faith in Christ. And when you have done that, you don't have to worry about judgment because the judgment's already been made. It's been covered. The wrath of God has been taken care of. You have been saved from judgment. But without Jesus, every person's going to face the great white throne judgment that doesn't know Jesus. They're going to open books. The most important book It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And it says that those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's Jesus, will be cast into the lake of fire forever. How do you get your name in the book? I want my name in that book, don't you? How do you get it in there? You can't do it. You can't get your name in the book. Only Jesus can put it there. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You you weren't born with it. But when you receive Jesus Christ and commit your life to him, he puts your name in the book. (laughs) That's how you get it in there. And if your name's not in that book, you're going to face Jesus as the judge. You're going to face him as your savior or you're going to face him as the judge. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that even as a young boy, I committed my life to him That solved the judgment right there. Now, yeah, will some of my works be looked at carefully? Yes. But I don't have to worry about my eternal location because that's been taken care of through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you can know him today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, help us to live with expectancy and consistency. I pray for those without Jesus today. They have no hope. They have nothing to turn to. They have no foundation. They have no direction. I pray you'd show them how much you love them, God, and and how you've done it all. You've paid it. It's not what we have to do. It's what you've done. I pray that people would come to know you as Savior. I pray for believers. That's mostly who's here today. Christians. They get discouraged. We sometimes want to quit. Sometimes we lose our patience. So Lord, we ask that you 
lift us up and encourage each heart today. Be reminded that you are coming back, that we're in that shadow already. Help us to be faithful, to just keep a consistent, faithful, dedicated walk with you, a steady pace. I lift up those who may need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, then Lord, you bring them. I pray for those that maybe have committed their lives to Christ but never been baptized. And oh, what a joy to see people profess you publicly that they've been saved. So Lord, during these next few moments, would you keep any distractions from happening? Would you bring people to you? While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, pastors are here at the front, would you just quietly stand? Just give me a couple of minutes and we're done. Quietly stand to your feet. And these guys are here to pray with you, to help you. If there's a commitment of any kind or a decision you're making, we can walk right out this door to your left and there's some rooms to sit down in and visit with you. Or we can pray with you right here. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you stand up here in front of everybody. But that tug at your heart could be the Holy Spirit talking to you, saying, this is what you need to do right now. You need to commit your life to Him. If you're watching us online, you hit that connect button, and somebody will help you right now. They'll be glad to visit with you about knowing Christ or praying with you. I've decided I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to follow Jesus. Anyone? You come right now if you're coming. I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Thank you for your patience. If you made a commitment, you can put it on that communication card. Drop it in the box. As you leave, we'll call you. Or you can text the phrase, living hope. All one phrase, no space. Living hope. The number is 474747. We get the same information. We will call you and talk with you about knowing Christ. Or these pastors will be up here at the front after we're dismissed. Be glad to pray with you, to talk with you. I don't know how to make it any easier for you to respond. We don't ever close an invitation. I'll be in a hospitality room. I'd like to meet you if you're our guest in just a moment. I'd love to meet you up just out the door in that direction. You'll see the hospitality room. A couple of quick things. Wednesday night. Could be a, it's going to be life-changing Wednesday night for a lot of young people. Fields of Faith at Jones Stadium. We need some encouragers. What do you do? You're going to have this little yellow vest on. Shows you're different. Of course, they can tell we're not kids. But it makes you easy to see. You get there at 6 o'clock. They're going to give you a few instructions. You cheer those kids as they come in. There'll be thousands of them. eight to 10,000. They'll be shared the gospel. They're going to ask to come forward. They're going to walk out on that field. They're going to walk right up to you and say, 
Can you share with me how to receive Christ? Or they may have just received Christ and you're going to record the information. Or they may just need some prayer and you're going to pray with them. This is the time when Jesus said, you shall be fishers of men. The fish jump in the boat with you here. You don't have to do anything, but they come to you. But we need you. Southcrest always has the largest group out there helping. It's because we care about lost souls. Here's what you have to do. FCA Lubbock. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, fcalubbock.org, O-R-G, fcalubbock.org. Go online, Fields of Faith, be an encourager. You fill out the form, they send you the email with all the instructions. I want you to miss Wednesday night and go help in Fields of Faith. I'm going out there as soon as I get through teaching the, the Bible study on Nehemiah. I'm going out there, and that Bible study will be online. You can see it later. Or I'll come to your house and preach it to you individually. <laughs> I'd rather you go out there and help. Seriously, we need the help. That you may have five kids with you out there at one time, but but it's nothing to be afraid of. They come to you. They're there for a reason. You don't have to talk them into anything. This afternoon, a reception for Pam, three to five in the commons area. Just come in the front door. Just come in for a minute. If you bring them a card or, or just love on her a little bit, just whatever you want to do, uh, we want to do that. And I, and I will give you a next Sunday afternoon, we're going to have another open house at the school from two to four. But this time, our folks are in it. We, we're in it. Our school's in it. If you want to go by and see what's going on, and I'll let you know about that next Sunday. Help us. Pray about helping us with fields of faith. We really need your help. I'll see the guest out here. I'd love to meet you, Brother Jim. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.